Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast. Today's guest is the author of Cracking the Millennial Code on Managing Millennials and also author of The Other Side of the World. At age 14, he launched a multinational marketing company. Yes, age 14 that specialized in working with nonprofit organizations. He scaled that organization to work with over 200 clients in 25 different countries. After spending many years as an executive in venture capital-based companies in 2019, he jumped back into the startup world with Boone. He's a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, international speaker, and best-selling author. Oh, yeah, and for fun, he's actually a sommelier as well. Give a very warm welcome to Ryan Vett. Great to have you on thanks the show. Thanks so Ryan. much, Paul. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's You've got a very interesting story. I mean, you went from the lemonade stands and all that stuff, and we'll probably talk about that one another day. But where I want to really dive in to start off with is some people may find this a little crazy, but I, I'm certainly intrigued. Why did you depart from vent- from the venture capital world to work at a coffee shop? That's a good question. So I, I had done uh, about seven startups uh, over over the years, and I'd been either a founding executive, senior executive, or founder, one of those three roles at, at all of them. And it's a very, very fun journey. There, there's so much to learn. Um, but about seven years ago now, I invested uh, with a partner into a coffee shop and wine bar. So we do coffee, craft beer, and wine. And I really enjoyed that. And surprisingly, they're, they're not too uh, unprofitable. They, they can make a, a decent amount of money if, if you put some business principles behind them. And, and so really, really loved that. Opened the second one uh, in 2019 and uh, kind of had two locations under my belt, all the while doing the startup thing. And, uh, you know, after selling Boone, I really had one of those moments that, uh, which was a software company, I had one of those moments that was like, you know, really, what do I want to do uh, with, with my life? Uh, and I think we all have those, uh, those moments and I probably have uh, them more often than most. <laughs> and uh, so I was contemplating walking, uh, taking a hike. And I was like, you know what? I, I have so many people that I have the opportunity to influence. Each location serves about 3000 guests a year, unique guests. Um, and between the two, there's about 30 to 40 team members, depending on season and things like that. And that's a lot of people. Um, if you look at all that, and there's a lot of people that I have the opportunity to impact in a very real way. And so I launched third. Uh, third uh, means your third place. So a lot of p- times people say your home, your work, and that third place. So whether that's like Central Perk on Friends or uh, you know the the bar on Cheers, whatever whatever that space is, it's your third place that you go. And so that's what what third is. And basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, not create another Starbucks. Not that there's anything wrong with Starbucks, but not create a, a chain, but take businesses that need. Uh, what I would call infrastructure help or operational help uh, and really focus on revitalizing Main Street businesses uh, by focusing on the people first. That's really interesting that you say that, uh, especially around, you know, reviving retail businesses, which have probably been the most hard hit over the last 12 months out of anything. That's, and some would say that's it's quite brave to, to go down that direction. What, what gives you the, the confidence that, you know, 
that there's still a place for that and and that's that's gonna that's still got the opportunity to grow back up yeah i, I focus specifically on beverages uh i love coffee tea beer wine whiskey uh kombucha cider whatever it is uh but we're not messing with food uh, i will leave that to someone else i i enjoy eating foods so i'll eat at the restaurants all day but uh you know we're focusing primarily on beverages for a couple of reasons one it's a low cost way to spend time with friends in a social setting. Um, it's pretty universal cross-culturally. Uh, it might be a different beverage per culture, but most people can come together over a social drink, whether that's coffee or tea or beer, wine, or whiskey, and have that experience uh, together. And that's not totally impacted by the economy. Of course, it's going to dip a little bit if the economy were to dip. But the reality is if you look at Starbucks's stock over uh, the 2008-2009 uh, crash of the market, Starbucks continued to slowly climb. They weren't going as well as they were, but the reason being is you can spend, you know, now it's like $10 a drink, but you can spend a couple dollars a drink, uh, and go on a date or, or get some time away and not feel like you're bring, breaking the bank on a $30 per person dinner or more. Uh, and so that's, that's part of the reason why I think it's, uh, economy proof. The other thing is everyone needs jobs. And a lot of the reasons why people can't work in these environments is because you've got the the big uh, chains that are able to provide wonderful benefits. And then you've got the small one-off businesses that are not able to provide benefits. And uh, if you have to make that trade-off, uh, there's only so many jobs that provide everything that you might need for a family. And so one of the things that third does is because we're a large or we will be large, we, we will have all of the benefits of a large corporation, even though each individual location has a different name and people won't know third exists. That's the point. You're, you're not supposed to know we exist. We're behind serving our, our uh, team well so that they serve our partners and guests well that does it's an interesting concept that you put put together as well you know and I think what you are doing there is is, is something that's really valuable to <laughs> to the marketplace because yeah there is a lot of solopreneur businesses especially and, and smaller businesses that, that maybe don't change as fast um, as others so yeah that's really 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 helpful and then also looking at like you scaled massively, right? To, firstly, to start a business at 14, like most people are trained, if they're trading Pokemon cards, they're, do, they're doing pretty well. Well, that's, I, I actually tried to run Pokemon out of business as part of my business venture, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> so you, you scaled right up and you seem to have a real passion for startups as well. So talk, talk to us a little bit about like how, how you scaled up and, and then what's it like selling selling a business once you've scaled it? Yeah, each business has been so radically different. And I, I think the one thing that I can promise any entrepreneur is there's going to be challenges you just don't expect coming down the pipe. And that's okay. Um, and I think what makes most entrepreneurs successful is not uh, that they don't fail, because I would say almost anyone who's been successful has failed. It's how they get up from that failure um, and, and really move forward. So um, trying to think of kind of a generic story or illustration to encapsulate all of them. But I think the biggest thing uh, you know, the one thing that I found true, and, and I talk about the million dollar lemonade stand, right? How I took a childhood passion, transformed it into, um, you know, all my businesses, not just the beverage based businesses, but the, the six other meta device or tech businesses I've been in. And, and one of the things that I found true is time is moving forward. Uh, we all, no matter where you are in the world, we have 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, uh, 24 hours in a day. That's, that's a true fact that I've, so far, no one's been able to change that, uh, that, I, that I know of. Um, if so, call me afterwards. But uh, the second thing is people. I, I've been in businesses that have been profitable. I've been in businesses that have not been profitable. So money comes and goes, products fail, uh, products succeed. 
uh, trends come and go, but people are always there. And I think that's really where, where third comes into place is it's focusing um, on, on people, knowing that we have to use, utilize the time we have today uh, to best care for those that we're responsible for, for serving. And, and when, when you talk about caring for people and also having the systems and processes there, like if, if you go and become a holding company for a company that's already out there doing some stuff, where, where is the first kind of tweaks that you go, okay, cool, this is where we see a big domino that we, we can turn around very quickly? Um, most of the time, it's just process inefficiencies um and a lack of process i wouldn't even say process and efficiencies because the processes don't exist that's probably the thing that we found uh most often but sometimes there are people issues um one of the things that we're uh looking to do is every location um and, and this isn't like concrete in our our bylaws or anything but so far any location that's open seven days we're reducing to six um we don't care what day of the week it, they take off we're actually trying to stagger it uh for various reasons but we realize that people need rest. They need a break. And if you look at turnover rates, the people that uh, have the highest turnover are nurses generally first. And then you see people in the hospitality industry second. And it's because of the hours and the stress without breaks, um, among other things, right? That, that's a big generalization. Uh, and so that's one of the things that we're trying to do is focus on how can we make sure that the people aren't working, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, which happens a lot with general managers. And we can take some of that burden off. Then the other thing we do is we automatically eliminate what most people consider the busy work. Um, so many people that get into it, starting a coffee shop. I've talked to so many coffee shop owners in this journey, um, just using that as one archetype, but uh, talked to so many and they're always like, I was standing behind the bar making a latte. It was wonderful. And then that first IRS letter came and I forgot to pay my taxes because I didn't know I had to pay sales taxes in addition to income taxes. Like, yeah, that sucks. Oh, and then payroll taxes. Oh, and then unemployment. And these things just pile up. And so we take all of that off the entrepreneur founder's plate so that they can focus on serving people while they got into it. So that, that automatically lifts that burden off uh, people's heads. And sometimes we find scary things in that, but usually we can straighten that out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine, especially, I mean, I, I remember even we were running a bridesmaid's dress business, so selling bridesmaid's dresses in an e-com store. And I went through the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz um, mm -hmm. and I basically got this spreadsheet, I put it all together. And then by the end of it, I was like, oh crap, we haven't got a business. Yep. Uh, and, and, and then I, I looked at it and our re refund rate was actually 30% when we thought it was 12% because we're calculating mm. it. We, when you scale up, you calculate on the month of those sales, not on the month when it happened. So mm. then I, I yeah. made this massive mess and I couldn't even switch the ads off at, at the time oh, because, because we couldn't cover the cash flow. So then we took out all these loans and everything like that. It was crazy. So Systems and processes, I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's extremely important. So, so what, what's, what's interesting, Ryan, is you know, you've, you've been through a lot of different experiences from, from startup to, to venture-backed and that kind of stuff. Where, where do you think the next five years of marketing is heading? Um, I, I think we've seen a trend for several years now, and I think it will continue, is this idea of personalization. Um, and if you're not marketing personally to someone, forget it. Um, you know, you, I had the opportunity to be at one of, at the time it was the leading social media agency and now it's still one of the leading social agencies as an internship years ago. This was when, uh, you know, this little company called Spotify was trying to give us free trials. Um, and you know, Instagram was giving us beta access. Like this was way, way, way long ago. And, and it was cool to be a part of that company and see that it was the first time consumers or customers were coming and wanted to hear from your brand. 
Now, a lot of people have kind of switched that off. Um, not that it's totally impossible to market through social media, but that's kind of migrated and people expect this personalization, which we've seen uh, for several years now. The other thing that's been really interesting, I'm not going to hang my hat on this yet, but I'm watching, keeping an eye on it. We're seeing traditional mediums come back up, not so much um, print ads and things like that, but uh, we're seeing an increase in success of uh, par like strategic partnerships with uh, benches, billboards. Uh, the most interesting one I saw some stats on recently, and again, I'm not hanging my hat on this. I'm watching this to see if it actually trends, uh, is postcards. And the success rate of postcards has increased uh, more than any other marketing medium in the last like two to three years. I just saw that in a study uh, a couple of days ago, specifically along the, among the millennial generation, which is even more interesting. Um, so we're, we're seeing some of that. Um, and, but that, that personalization is really where, where I see it going uh, over time and using data, which gets into a whole ethics issue, but using data to be able to better target your, your customer on a very personal basis. And, and when we talk about personalization, well, firstly, just to note on that postcards, that's something that we, we've seen as well. So um, you, you may get a postcard from us at some point. There you go. <laughs> that, um, that is also, so we use something called thanks to IO uh, we, for mm -hmm. anyone listening, yeah. which, is, which is really cool. So you can do that personalized. So it's going to go straight to you and look handwritten as well. And then it's got a picture of our team on the front. So I've just spoiled that all for you, that experience for you now. But I'll still have the surprise look when I open like, it. Oh my God, I can't believe I'll, I'll do a mailbox opening for you. Instead <laughs> of an unboxing. Um, but yeah, again, that when we talk about personal, personalization, is that just from the, in terms of the, the data? Or is it also people like, you know, they, they want their their name on things and they, they want it like to be exactly for them. I think it's both. And I think it's using data to both create custom tailored campaigns that could be more general, might not have their name on it. Um, but you're seeing that with a lot of online ads now. Hey, are you this person or this person? Click. And then this is your ad experience. You see Hulu doing that a lot. Um, so I, I think it could go that way. But I also am seeing more and more that personalization, like, I just got a FedEx package the other day uh, with a bunch of personalized stuff to try to get me to buy something, uh, which they spent a ton of money on it. But you are seeing more and more of that type of personalization as well. Um, and so that, I, I think you'll, you'll see both, but it's ultimately using data to figure out what someone, how to really woo someone. Uh, interesting marketing campaign, right? This is a one-off account-based marketing, um, a, a company I'm an advisor for. They really want this employee and, and I know the employee well. I, I've actually hired this individual uh, four different times. Uh, so I, I like this employee a lot. They're, they're a rock star. Uh, and I, I they're like, how do we get him? I said, they're like, how much is he going to cost? And we're going through numbers. I said, at the end of the day, salary is important, all of that. He needs to know he's coming into a company with great culture. And I said, you know what's important to him? And they didn't. So I gave them some cues. And anyway, uh, they knew his family would be out to dinner and so they bought, it was the first time they'd seen each other in 18 months after COVID, uh, they bought him a meal. Now, I don't know if he's accepted the job yet. This is real time. Um, but that is a, a way of personal. I knew something that this guy liked. And obviously that was a little more personal data, not, not data, big data. But things like that mm -hmm. go so much further than, uh, you know, uh, another email marketing uh, campaign where it's easy just to swipe and it goes away. Uh, but it's hard to do that with a postcard. You actually have to physically walk to the trash can. Yeah, because cause it's that inbox isn't as cluttered anymore mm -hmm. <laughs> as it used to be. I, re I remember we used to get like that much, like loads and loads of mail every day, junk mail and stuff. And now it's like yep. what one or two different things. 
also it's interesting what you say about personalization in terms of like real human personalization have you seen like and i'm not sure if you've read the ultimate sales machine by chet holmes where he talks about yep. the dream 100 process and all that kind of stuff is that something that you've used in some of your startups of like that real hyper personalization or other strategies I, I think one of the most interesting ones uh kind of from not quite to that level but what we did was um we were trying to sell a specific car dealership um and advertising a campaign and they were each like six-figure campaigns so they were they were big we spent a little bit of money we hired a Lego artist. These are people out there that actually create Legos to build Lego cars for each one of these people. Um, and we would send it with a little, you can buy those video screens that are dirt cheap. Um, and you can preload a video on there and hit play to watch the ad. Oh, and so yeah, we yeah. sent that to people um, and, and did that. One of the other campaigns that the same company did a couple years earlier was they would take um, the, get a remote control car, send the car, but keep the remote and say, call me and I'll send you the remote too. Uh, so there, there's things like that, uh, that are, are more kind of account-based marketing that are a little bit more personal. Um, but still you can do mass market because we sent a couple hundred of those cars out. It was an expensive campaign, but the ROI was huge. I mean, everyone's going to have that Lego sitting on their desk. It's a cool custom car that looks like, you know, the cars that they were selling the newest model. And do you think, do you think you can do that in startup world as well without, you know, without massive budgets that do, do that hyper-personalization because everyone's like, oh, I need to run more ads. We need to run more ads. But like, do you think that leverage growth, and I want to be careful not to put words in your mouth here as well, yeah. <laughs> but like le leverage, how important is, is, is creating leverage in a startup? It's all about, you know, the how, the, how far can you get your, stretch your dollar? I mean, that is the most important thing early on in a startup. When we, when you get bigger, you have a little bit more ability to, um, get creative and not be quite as concerned about the, the dollars and cents. But I remember a campaign similar that we did and, and my team probably remembers this. They probably still, uh, you know, curse my name for this, but we got, I want to say three or 4,000 greeting cards that were very, very nice. And I required uh, everyone to hand write on them. And we created these new, what looked like newspaper clippings said, Hey, um, it was to doctors. We're selling medical advice. Hey, doctor, I saw this magazine clipping and thought about you. And actually all we did was buy a bunch of one pages, print something funny on the back uh, that looked like an ad and then, and just kind of tore it. We intentionally made it look like it was hand cut and folded in here in a personal letter. And that was a, a successful campaign, but doing all of that for the 3000 people or however many it was, was far less expensive than getting, you know, a print ad in a uh, industry publication and much more effective. Um, and so things like that are definitely you just got to be different. Um, and there is something to be said, you know, the, the old Nielsen kind of throws this number out. Someone has to see something three times before they actually pay attention to it. Um, and, and so just doing that isn't enough. Then that needs to be followed by an ad that appears in a publication that's saying, or an email or a phone, you know, so there, there's a lot more to it, but uh, being unique in those strategies is really important. Uh, I like it. And there's, there's a lot that people can take away from, from that as well. Don't, don't take, what Ryan's will share with a pinch of salt because there's so much from a strategic perspective. Like I say, every, every dollar has a job. That's what my mentor says is it, like every dollar in the business has a job and don't, so don't, don't go and waste it. Uh, yep. So powerful, powerful stuff. I, I love it. Ryan, one question that we ask everyone on the show is what do you want to be remembered for when you die? Yeah, I think, uh, I was 18 and I was at a conference in Atlanta with some of the best leadership speakers I, I've still ever heard under one roof to this day. 
And I unfortunately do not remember who recommended this, uh, but one of the speakers there uh, recommended kind of writing down a life motto or a mission statement, vision statement. And I did, and I've stuck to it uh, for a long time. Originally, it was to be a good leader, which is a really terrible uh, mission statement because there's nothing there. There's no substance, no action, no clarity, no nothing to do. Um, but what, what I boiled it down to was uh, leaders inspire others. And what am I inspiring someone to? A positive change. Uh, so in everything that I do and what I want to be remembered by is that I inspire everyone towards a positive change. And the question that people always ask is, well, what if you fire someone? Have you ever fired someone? How do you do that? Uh, unfortunately, I've had to part ways with people before. And how, how do you do that? Well, I, I want someone to be better because of the experience than before. It doesn't always mean that the, the growing process is easy or not painful. Um, but I, I have had so many people come back that we ha I have separated uh, with professionals that have ended up coming back at some point and, and we can sit down and have a drink. Um, it's not always the most comfortable and it doesn't happen all the time. But overall, that, that's what I want to be remembered by. And I, I don't bat perfectly. Uh, but m more often than not, that's my goal is to inspire others towards a positive change. So after I, I've died, I, I hope that people can say that uh, because of Ryan, I was inspired to change this or, or do this that I previously hadn't. I, and it's not lost on me about the, the firing process as well. I mean, we, we've let people go sometimes and we, we try to say, hey, you've got a seven day trial to start off with because you usually find out a lot in that first seven days. Um, yeah. But at, at that point as well, like you say, if you can build that relationship with them at that point, that's so strong. It's like, listen, it's not working out. Right? And it's not so much. It's not you. It's me. But, it's, right. it, it, but there is a little bit of that to it. Like, just can we, we dive into that a little bit more? So like how, if you had to let someone go, how would you let them go without them feeling like crap? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple different scenarios. Obviously you got policy violations. Um, that's one. I, I would love to share those, but unfortunately I don't think I can legally. Um, but we, you know, if, if there's a blatant pilot policy violation, you've done everything you can to address it. If, if the person can have multiple chances, sometimes there, there's not many chances. Um, then you have all those conversations. And then finally on, on strike two or three, depending on the offense, you just say, Hey, we've had these conversations. We've tried to help, um, you know, and, and clearly this isn't working out um so that that's one um in, in the case of mass layoffs i think this is the most tricky because the, it, it crushes morale uh usually if there's a bad apple on a team the team's not always upset that that person's let go uh and so you, sometimes you're the hero which I, I don't think should be celebrated when someone is let go uh but in the case of mass layoffs one of the things that i always encourage companies i coach uh to do that i learned from uh someone that i for a company that i was at is you create um, resume booklets and you send it to all the area companies that are looking for people with relevant skill sets. Um, and before the, it even happens, you allow the managers to kind of write a quick why, you know, the best role for this person. So it takes a lot of work on the management, but it's like, hey, sorry, we're downsizing our team, um, but we want to let you know this is exactly what we've done. And in one case, I saw interviews set up the same day um, for people. So they were still paid out, you know, their three, four weeks. And before, so they got double, actually, it was a good, good day for them. Um, and, and so th those are really, really neat things that you can do. Um, each one's so case by case. Um, yeah, each one's so case by case. Yeah, yeah. That, that question of, if I had to do something, what, what could I do? And that, <clears throat> that's really a strong question to have. So Ryan, what is one quick win that people can use to amplify their business today? I think the biggest thing uh, goes back to creating a personal 
mission or vision or motto statement, uh, kind of identifying your values. I have um, on my desk, the things that are most important to me. And I, I recommend not having any more than five. Um, but identify, most people haven't written those down. And it's one thing to say, yeah, they're in my head, but to have them take the time and write them down and say, oh, is this really what's first or is this second? Uh, writing that down as an individual can amplify your business. I think we don't focus enough on how, especially as leaders, how our personal values, and I was just doing a, a research project, how our personal values actually impact uh, the way our business operates and how our clients are actually impacted. So um, I, I definitely recommend taking the time to either write down a, a mission statement or a motto like I, I shared earlier, which mine is to inspire others towards positive change or writing down your priorities in life, whether that's faith, family or uh, friends or work uh, and making sure that everything you do is within those orders and doesn't deviate. Because when, when they do, you look like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yeah, that's that's really good stuff for people to to take away as well is like because as soon as you come off alignment then you're like if something just doesn't feel right and the further you get away from that we we always say it's a lot easier to move the dial one degree back to north than than it is to go oh i think you went the wrong way last week you're like oh i'm still driving (laughs) in the wrong direction yep so finally ryan what seven-figure entrepreneur would you nominate to be on the show next and where can people find out more about you yeah there are so many uh seven-figure entrepreneurs um can i give you two i mean yeah (laughs) okay um two because i've really gotten into this um this kind of main street business and revitalizing it uh and revitalizing it through tech uh because that's I would be lying if I said third didn't have a tech play too, um, but I'm calling it a main street business. Uh, but the first one, uh, they're both local. Uh, one's local to my area. One's local to my general geography. First one is Scott Wingo. He's the CEO of uh, Get Spiffy. It is an on-demand fleet management and car wash service, car and detailing service. That's totally eco-friendly. Um, and he's grown this business rapidly. I mean, it's massively expansive and continue continuing to grow. Uh, it's not his first startup either. So, so he's very experienced and just really, really cool to hear his story. So uh, that's one. The second one, uh, Cameron Hardesty, she's the CEO of Poppy Flowers. They're out of uh, kind of the DC area. Um, and they've taken this wedding flower business, digitized it, helped make it simple. So uh, your bride and groom aren't, you know, bickering over wedding flowers. And then COVID hit. And so the business totally, she was like, what am I going to do? And she pivoted, kept her same original business there, pivoted to this incredible um, home arrangement flower service, which I got for my wife and she just loved it. Um, and I'm investing in both these companies, full disclosure. Um, but uh, Cameron, just as a, a young CEO, has done an incredible job and she's just really impressed. So those are the two uh, seven-figure entrepreneurs that come to mind uh, right now. I love it. And where can people find out more about you, Ryan? I am really easy to find online, maybe too easy. Um, Ryan Vet, R-Y-A-N-V-E-T, Google it. Um, Instagram is usually my social media platform of choice. I know that's weird for an entrepreneur, but I'm on all of them, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. Uh, I, I'm not really on TikTok. I have an account, but that's you're never going to see a video on there. Uh, and then my website, of course, is ryanvet.com. Uh, you can find out more about me, some of the businesses I'm involved in, uh, LinkedIn, and uh, happy to happy to chat. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting when you look through your about section on your site as well. So I highly recommend go to ryanvet.com just to see Ryan's story in more detail as well, which is super, super awesome. So 
You've been listening to the Amplified to Seven Figures podcast with me, Paul Ace, and my amazing guest, Ryan Vett. It's been amazing having you on the show. Remember, amplify your business and amplify your life. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Amplified to Seven Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www.amplifytosevenfigures.com. Remember, amplify your business, amplify Amplify your your life.